pain is the price of admission to meaningful life. So happiness is not a magical unicorn. It is not something elusive. It's not the wave on the ocean. It's not the cloud in the sky. Because if we take happiness as that, we're never going to achieve it. It doesn't just happen. I am Vishen Lakhiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. So I want to start this session with a question: What is the one desire that every human being has in common? And even if we don't accept it for ourselves, this one desire we actually have for the people that we love the most. Every parent wants that for their child. We want it for our loved ones. We want it for our parents, for hopefully our love partners. This desire is actually to be happy. And even if very often we don't acknowledge that we want to be happy, or let's say we don't consider it important. The desire is there, and no matter what goals you set, if you go deep enough and you ask yourself, "Why do I have this goal? Why do I want to do this thing?" It all comes down to this: I want to feel happy. So my session today is about happiness, hacking happiness. But probably the most important message is actually that happiness is important. So while all of us have this desire in common, we want to be happy, want our loved ones to be happy. Somehow, happiness doesn't seem to be serious. Goal. Think of all the friends in your life, or the people that you know, especially people who are perfectionists and, well, perfectionists like me, or very ambitious people. Ask them how many of them, or do you actually have happiness as one of the goals for the year 2021? You see, the thing is that. Public discourse, especially now in the beginning of the 21st century, has turned a little bit against happiness. So, if you listen to what people are saying, what people, speakers, authors are talking about, or let's say even research, there's a lot of opinion that actually happiness is secondary. We hear such things as, you know, don't pursue happiness for the sake of happiness. The moment you are in the pursuit of happiness, you're not going to have it. In fact, that thought is not even new; it's a few hundred years old. But more recently, there are people who would come on stage and tell you that, you know, don't try to be happy. Look for meaning in life. If you have meaning, happiness will come. Or let's say, do something for the people, help others, and then you'll feel happy. Or、oh, my personal favorite, actually, a myth which is very, very common: do the right thing and you'll be happy; achieve success and you'll be happy. Well, I want to tell you that doing the right thing is not going to make you happy. If that was the case, we wouldn't have people who are burnt out. We wouldn't have people who feel stuck. Without even knowing what's the answer, how do I get out of the situation? You do all the right things, and then you wake up one morning and you're wondering, how did I end up here? Something is just not right. And I'm saying that from my own experience because I'm a perfectionist by birth <laughs> and by upbringing. I was a straight A student, ambitious girl, doing everything right by the book because I knew I was told from childhood, from a young age, do the right thing and you'll be happy in the end. Study well and you'll be fine. You know, get a good job, you'll be happy. Earn a lot of money, you'll be happy. This idea that success brings us happiness somewhere, we understand that it is actually wrong. It's not true. It doesn't work this way. Yet, this is the path that we all choose. And while we choose this path for success, so that in the end we end up being happy, 
We also say that happiness is secondary, that it's unimportant, that meaning, helping others, you know, contribution is more important. Well, there is actually a lot of research about happiness. People might say that it is such a fluffy topic, but, well, to be honest, there is a lot of research about happiness. There's one study which was going through 200 research papers on happiness, and it was trying to figure out the connection between success and happiness. And, you know, this idea that you reach success and as a prize at the end of your race, you will be happy is actually not true. There is a correlation between success and happiness, but this correlation, surprisingly, is going in the other direction. Your level of success is not any predictor of your level of happiness. Yet how happy you are is very important in how capable you are going to be in reaching success. Well, research shows that apparently if you are happy, well, I'm not going to overload you with psychological lingo, but let's say if you have a lot of positive affect, then your state, your state of mind and your thoughts, your feelings are exactly the kind that are necessary for you to reach success. Isn't it exciting? We all put success on a pedestal. We think this is important. And by success, I mean not just financial success, obviously. I, I mean big, meaningful goals, changing the world for the better, all the things that we good people want for us and for the world. So we go for success, hoping that happiness maybe is going to be the prize at the end of the journey. But the research shows that you have to be happy so that you have more likelihood to reach your goals and to be successful. So my mission lately has become to help people to acknowledge that happiness is an important goal. It's not secondary. It's not a byproduct. In fact, happiness is a prerequisite for you to be in that state of mind that your life has meaning, that it has impact, and that you actually reach success. So if happiness is actually important, can we pursue it? Or the philosophers of the past were actually right when they said that, you know, pursuing happiness is going to make you less happy. I find it a very, very interesting question. Because, you see, when we want to reach any success in any area of the, our life, we put effort into that. Let's take some examples. If you want to have a happy, loving relationship, you need to work on your relationship, right? If you want to create financial abundance, you need to work on your financial mindset. If you want to be healthy, you need to work on your health. Yet somehow we believe that if you want to be happy and we all, well, I started my speech with the idea that we all actually intrinsically want to be happy, then somehow we believe that happiness just happens. We do the right things and happiness happens. Research shows it doesn't work. So what I want to say is that if you want to actually be happy, And if you understand that happiness is not a prize, it's not a byproduct, it's not secondary, it is important, then you need to figure out what it is. You need to figure out how to be happy, what it is, how it works, and how can you get there. So I would say that happiness doesn't just happen. Doing right things doesn't bring you happiness. Practicing happiness brings you happiness. So if you want to achieve something, We need a map, but when we need a map, we also need to know where we are going. And with happiness, that's an interesting thing. I've been talking about happiness actually for quite a lot of years. 
Now, I've researched happiness quite a bit, and I've noticed that we as a society don't have any consensus about what is happiness. How do you define it for yourself? A lot of people can't even agree on the essence of happiness. Is it a state? Is it an emotion? Is it a joy? Is it, uh, you know, elation? What is it? What is happiness for you? So if we've established that happiness is important and necessary for you to have meaningful, successful life, then the next question is, but what is it? So here I want to explain why is it so hard to explain what is happiness? Well, on one side, yes, we have a lot of research which actually researches happiness. And usually what do researchers do? They ask, are you happy? It's a subjective measure. Yes, it's a little bit messy because different people Their scale of happiness from zero to 10 may be very different. What is 10 for me? Maybe five for someone else. What is two for someone else? Maybe, you know, eight for you. Our perception, our feeling of happiness is very different. But my point is that happiness is a personal thing. While success is a universal concept, we all more or less understand success very similarly. Happiness is a personal thing. And while there are a lot of maps to success, there are, you know, there are lessons and courses and tutorials, do this, don't do that, these are the habits of successful people, it's really hard to create a tutorial for happiness. And a lot of the research, a lot of the books, a lot of the authors actually talk about that. They kind of dig into happiness, but then in the end it comes down like, do you feel it? Do you not feel it? So what is happiness for you? The thing is that we as a society don't have this agreement for one simple reason. I'll just illustrate the story. I have two children. I'm a mother. And those who have children, you will understand. If you don't have children, probably you have people that you love and you should still relate. As any mother, if you ask me, what do I want my children to be or how do I want them to grow up? Obviously, I'll say, I want my children to be happy. So what do I do for that? I create the environment for them that they don't experience anything which is not happy. So when I was a kid, my mom wouldn't take me to hospitals to see, let's say, very sick relatives because she thought, you know, as a small child, I shouldn't be exposed to such grim sights. I never attended funerals when I was a child. The same reason. I remember when I took my children to Serengeti to see the animals. It was a dream of ours to go to Africa to see the animals. We landed in Serengeti, and it's millions of animals. We were following the migration of wildebeest, millions of animals. It came actually with millions of dead animals. And when I saw that, not millions actually, sorry, with, with a lot of dead carcasses, when I saw them around, I was shocked because I had a three-year-old daughter with me. And my thought was, oh my God, how is she going to take it? She sees, let's say, a lion come and kill a zebra. How is she going to take it? Is she going to be shocked? Is it going to traumatize her? So our natural desire to make people that we love happy leads us to try to prevent them from any painful experience. Another experience from my personal life that a lot of parents probably will relate. When my son was a little younger, I came into his room at night and he was crying. And I asked Hayden, why are you crying? He said, you know, we were traveling And tomorrow I have to go to school. And because we were traveling, I didn't have an opportunity to do the homework. And my classmates depend on me. And I feel scared and ashamed for not having done my homework. And my first reaction was, Hidden, it was my fault. I took you out on a trip. Let me go and talk to the teacher. I'll explain to the teacher. But then I said to myself, no, I'm not going to do that. My child, because what, what am I doing? I'm trying to create an environment 
which is happy environment for my child, prevent him from getting a painful experience so that he grows up happy. And by that, I'm depriving him of developing necessary skills to deal with adversity in the safety and comfort of me being still in his life, of being there for him, of holding his hand if he needs. So I stopped myself and I asked, Hayden, you know, I feel really sorry for you. And I also have experiences when I'm scared, when I'm ashamed. What do you think will happen? We chatted about fear. We chatted about shame. We chatted about what he thinks, what he feels. I shared whatever I thought was appropriate. In the next, the next morning, he went to school. He came back from school and it was totally gone for him. Why am I telling you this story? The thing is that we all grow up with parent figures or figures of people who love us, or most of us, hopefully, and they try to create an environment of happiness for us because every parent wants their child to be happy. And we grow up with a myth of happiness. It's like a unicorn. Everybody understands conceptually what is happiness, but nobody has seen it because what we have created in our mind is this myth of the absence of problems, the absence of pain. And that would be half the problem. The other half of the problem is that because of that artificial environment, which is not likely to happen in real life later, we grow up without the necessary skills to deal with regular, normal things in our life, such as fear, such as shame, such as pain, such as loss and death. So because of that, I think a lot of people are chasing happiness like a unicorn, and never getting to, to bridle it and ride it because we don't know what it is and we don't know how to create it. So I think the first thing that you can do to hack happiness is to define what does it mean to be happy for you. Obviously, I cannot define it for you because, as I said, happiness is a personal thing. While success is a universal phenomenon, we generally agree about what is success. This guy is successful, this guy is not. This woman is successful, but this one is not. When it comes to happiness, it's up to you. It's up to you to define. It's up to you to decide that it is a priority, that it is important for you. And yes, I wouldn't try to tell you what is happiness, but I want to share some ideas with you to help you define that. Because, uh, as I said, nobody has taught us. We kind of understand it, but we understand it all very differently. So I'll tell you what happiness isn't. For one, if you want to really achieve the state of happiness, as, an, as I said, happiness is this prerequisite for you to live a successful, meaningful life. So if you want it to be tangible and not a mythical creature like a unicorn, then I strongly suggest that you take, for a definition of happiness, a state of being, a state of mind, your general state and not an emotion. A lot of the times we have those ideas that, you know, don't go chasing happiness because you'll never get it. Because by that, in that phrase, happiness is an emotion. An emotion by its nature is transient. It's elusive. It doesn't stick in one place. If I want to give you an analogy, it's like waves on the ocean. Emotion is like the cloud in the sky. It's not the substance per se. It's a transient phenomena. For example, if you think what you feel right now, and I can't imagine what you feel right now because I'm talking into complete void, but you could share actually in the comments what you feel right now. But it, it's not necessary. But let's say, think of what do you feel right now? 
there is emotional scarcity in society. We are very often uh, defining our feelings with like good, bad, stressed, like very generic terms, umbrella terms. But if you try to ask yourself, what do I feel right now? Do I feel curious? Do I feel excited? Do I feel thoughtful? And put a slightly more specific term to what you feel. So while you are doing that and trying to put a more specific term to what you feel, that feeling evolves and shows a slightly different facet to you. And if I were to ask you right now to share what you feel in a few words with someone who is next to you, as you share that, the emotion starts changing again. And that's the interesting thing about emotions. If I were to come on stage and start telling you how I felt, as I tell, my feeling changes because that's what emotions do. They change. So if you define happiness as anything, as an emotion, be it joy, bliss, enlightenment, well, enlightenment is not an emotion, it's a state, but let's say bliss or joy. If you define it as an emotion, then obviously it's going to be elusive because while you define it, it changes. So my suggestion to you that your definition of your personal happiness is a state, something much more substantial, something where you can get back to no matter what your emotions are, which change. Another thing which happiness is not, it's not perfection. And I know that Srikumar Rao, one of my favorite teachers and actually a personal teacher in terms of happiness, he has this beautiful idea. I'm not sure if he shared it with you, but he says, and I'm paraphrasing him, Srikumar Rao, that you're not happy because everything is perfect. Everything is perfect because you're happy. So if you're like me, I'm a perfectionist. If you think that you need things to fall to places perfectly, and then you'll be happy, then you are obviously set for, for failure because perfection doesn't happen. But when you are happy, suddenly everything seems perfect. You know, when lockdown started, I saw this uh, beautiful quote on Instagram, probably, or maybe Facebook. But, you know, internet, social media is the source of ultimate wisdom. It's an anonymous quote, but I think it's brilliantly, it brilliantly describes happiness for me. I love this quote. It says, happiness is when you're on a detour, but you can still enjoy the scenery. We as a society, as a world, have been on a really long detour. Have you been able to enjoy the scenery? And we get on those detours all the time. You know, things change in life and we're on a detour. Can you enjoy the scenery while you're on a detour? I think this quote is exactly the opposite of this idea that things have to be perfect for me to be happy. Because perfection doesn't happen in life. Well, it happens once you're happy. So it's the reverse. And the third thing that happiness is not... Happiness is not secondary. It is important. And today, if it is the only thing that you remember from my speech, I want you to carry out this. Happiness is important. It's not secondary. It's not a prize at the end of a race. Let me share another story with you. It was about 10, 12 years ago. I don't remember exactly. We had, me and Vishen, Vishen was speaking on a great stage with Dalai Lama, and we had a, a chance to actually talk to Dalai Lama. At that time, I was a co-founder of Mindvalley. I was uh, taking Mindvalley to Russian market, explaining to Russian people how to live happy, fulfilled, extraordinary, meaningful lives. But on the other hand, I had the legacy work. I was working with refugees. I was working in UN with refugees in Asia, in Malaysia. I used to live in Malaysia. And it is a very interesting environment because a lot of people who come as refugees to Malaysia, they would have lost everything. Everything they owned, people that they loved, everything, literally. So on one side, we were building the company 
to help people to live more fulfilled, extraordinary lives, essentially to be happy. On the other hand, I saw a lot of misery and a lot of tragedy. So obviously, like every compassionate, or maybe not compassionate, maybe just empathetic person, I couldn't reconcile those two worlds. How can I be happy if there is misery in the world around us? I wonder if it sounds familiar to you. Have you ever thought, how can I be happy if there is misery in the world? If there are people who are unhappy? If there are problems to solve? You see, that's another thing. We are told, do things for others, help others, and you'll feel happy. And it is proven by research because, you know, altruism or doing something for someone actually creates the chemicals in our body that feel got good hormones, serotonin, and, uh, you know, it does literally make us feel better. Emotion, it gives us a good emotion. But on the other hand, if that was the truth, we wouldn't see so much misery among the people who actually work in non-profit sector, who work with societies who need help. Like I, I came out of NGO world. I came out of UN, out of working with actually the most miserable, with HIV positive people, with refugees, with the, with the kids uh, who were orphans. So I get it. And I know how much people suffer. I had a colleague in Malaysia. She would go to every disaster area to help people. There was a tsunami in Indonesia in 2004. She went to help. And every time she was helping, she was full of energy. She was, she was there full on. But when she came back to Malaysia, she'd always get a heart attack. Always. And uh, eventually, unfortunately, she died because she just spent herself for a really good cause. And I asked that question of Dalai Lama, not in so many words, of course. <laughs> I asked him, what do I do? Happy? Misery? He said, Christina, you can't help anyone if you're not happy. You can't help anyone if you're not happy. And that's why I'm saying that one thing that happiness is not, it's not secondary. It is important. And I'm not going to go into cliches that, you know, you have to put your own mask on yourself before you help others, but it is true. So to recap what I've been saying, number one, give yourself permission to prioritize your happiness this year and actually get the courage to tell people, I'm going to make the social experiment. I promise you, you guys, Mind Valley crowd, you know, if you see me at the next live event, I'm going to try this. Because people come to you and they ask, so what are you passionate about? And my experiment is going to be, I'm going to tell people, I'm passionate about my own happiness. I just want to see how people react to that. I'll share it with you at some other speech probably. So it is important because uh, as research shows, it is not a consequence or a prize of your good life, of your good deeds, of meaning in your life. It's actually a prerequisite for you to be able to do that, to reach success. So obviously the logical conclusion is that, you know, if you want to be happy, you need to learn to be happy. It doesn't just happen. You have to practice happiness. And of course, I have a lot of techniques and practices over years. I have collected uh, a lot of different ideas how to help you to be happy. And I'm going to share just a few of them with you right now, very briefly, just to mention so that you actually can jot it down. Uh, in fact, I'm going to give you a homework after, after the summit is done today. I want you to first define happiness for yourself. Well, first, give yourself permission to be happy. Define happiness for yourself. And then here are a few practices which you can try. So the most Famous, obviously, is being in the present moment. 
And uh, without going too deep into that, obviously, a lot of our unpleasant emotions, our unpleasant feelings, or the things that actually get us out of this resourceful state have nothing to do with the present moment. I was worried about this speech the whole day while I was out with the kids walking in the nature. I was thinking about that speech and that made me a little bit uneasy while I was in the beautiful spot. So obviously, let's say our worries or fears have more to do with the future. In the present moment, there is no fear. I'm not on stage. I'm not, you know, I'm not in this stressful situation where I have to perform. And a lot of our unpleasant feelings have to do with the past, the regrets, or let's say the nostalgia when we think of something that was beautiful in the past and now it's not here, or the loss. And in the present moment, it's not there anymore. So obviously the present moment is that interesting spot in time on the universal timeline where you can feel bliss and happiness. Again, I'm talking about emotions and happiness, the state of happiness a little bit interchangeably. So I would say bliss. You can feel bliss in the present moment or carelessness or any other emotion, be it joy or elation or excitement. It happens in the present moment. The unpleasant emotions happen either in the future or in the past. So bring yourself back to the present moment is a really good practice. And And after me, I do not know which of the stages, there's Gelung Tupten speaking, and I really love this guy. He's another of my favorite Mind Valley teachers. He actually talks beautifully about understanding what it means to enjoy the present. So if you get a chance, check out his teachings. So another very famous practice, obviously, is gratitude. But I wanted to give it a twist, actually, recently, because gratitude is, in a way, looking into the past, a little bit looking into the past. You think of all the good things that have happened to you that you can be grateful for. Obviously, well, there is a lot of research that proves that if you practice gratitude for, let's say, 30 days, your experience of happiness or your self-assessment of happiness goes up by about 25%. It is true. But I wanted to give it a little spin because I believe that in this world, in the universe, nothing is... Absolute. There are actually contradictions, and that's what makes it so beautiful because I can tell you something, and the next moment I can tell you a little bit different thing, and those contradictions. Actually managing those contradictions, what makes you perfect at living and makes the living experience perfect. So the opposite side of gratitude is looking forward to. And I came to that over the past one year. Because what I noticed that when things changed and we were stuck at home. I stopped looking forward to things. I used to have things to look forward to, to meeting someone, to going to AFAST, to having Mindville party or whatever. There were things to look forward to. And suddenly there was nothing to look forward to. Well, in a big scale of things. So yes, here's the contradiction. And I think contradictions are beautiful. Expectations are the killer of happiness. Shefali Sabari would have talked about that. Expectation is a killer of happiness. But looking forward to is different from expectation. So I decided to make a twist and to practice. What am I looking forward to today? I started this experiment on Wednesday. I thought Thursday morning, I wake up and I start thinking, what do I look forward to today? Thursday morning, no, Wednesday night, I got a massive fever. Massive fever. I was out all of Thursday and everything that I was looking forward to was canceled. <laughs> and here's the contradiction. I think it's a beautiful thing, though, because I, I got to change my plans and look forward to something different, to something new. And I want to practice that because I believe that, you see, the problem with, like, gratitude is, is a beautiful practice which reminds us that we have already achieved so much. But also, if you constantly 
turn your gaze to the past, you're prone to nostalgia, you're prone to romanticizing what has been. And it is okay while you still have the lighthouse in the future to move you forward to. So my problem of the past year was that I stopped looking forward to things. And I wanted to add that as the second, the opposite side of the same coin. What am I looking forward to? And can I look forward to things without being hung on expectations? That's another practice I might want to suggest to you. Another one, double practice, is actually perfectionism. Perfectionism, comparison. Because I believe that comparison is a really bad habit that we all have. As a speaker, as an author, I compare myself to other speakers, to other authors. As an entrepreneur, I compare myself to other entrepreneurs. So if I take myself facet by facet by facet, there's always someone who's achieved more than I have. And if I start comparing myself as a speaker, there are more, you know, energetic, more expressive speakers that I would think like, ah, I'm lesser. If I compare myself as an entrepreneur, there are obviously more successful entrepreneurs. If I compare myself as a mother, there are other mothers who are more hands-on. So when I start comparing myself to other people, it is such an easy way to slip and start feeling bad about yourself. So the flip side of comparison is inspiration. Because while it's horrible to compare yourself and to feel bad about that, it is incredibly good to have a role model to aspire to, to have someone to learn from, to have an example of what I would like to be. So here's another balancing act. Can you actually not compare yourself, but still see the inspiration for yourself in your life? And it's a great practice for happiness. Another great practice for happiness, I, liked, I, I paired it up a little bit, uh, but... Um, You know, I paired it up a little bit, but it is not so contradictory. It's self-love and actually meaningful connections with other people. And these two components or two practices are incredibly important for happiness. In fact, self-love is a topic that I could talk about for the rest of the day. So what I want to maybe leave you with for as a practice, as a homework, is that can you take self-love deeper Because often the way we take self-love is a little bit skin deep. We talk about, you know, finding time for yourself or, or spending time with yourself or doing something good for yourself. Uh, I define self-love as thorough knowledge and understanding of yourself and the ability to love and accept yourself, not despite your flaws, but with them. Can you be kind and tolerant to yourself? And as the other side of the coin, although it's not a complete contradiction, it's your connection with the world. Here again, I won't be able to go deep into this topic. It's, um, I think Brené Brown is a famous TED speaker who talks about connection to the world and, the, and that connection with your self-image. Well, the thing is that we always try to look perfect for the world or to be something for the world. We put on the masks, we play the roles, uh, you know, the role of being polite, the role of being, you know, pleasant, because we think that this is what is going to make us acceptable for the world. So why, why I put connection, meaningful connections on the other side of self-love is that because actually, well, research shows that you create much stronger and more meaningful connections if you dare, if you have the courage to be just yourself. So it is about authenticity, but it's about honesty with yourself, which is why on the side of self-love, I talk about actually knowing yourself perfectly well, not perfectly well, knowing yourself, having the courage to know the true real self and having actually kindness and compassion for yourself to accept yourself the way you are. And if you achieve that, then as a collateral with that is that you will have 
a much easier way to create meaningful connections with the world. And there is probably the most famous research on happiness was done by Harvard. It was the 75 years long research that everybody, a lot of people refer to, where Harvard researchers, actually a whole, several generations of researchers were following lives of young men until their old age and uh, trying to see what makes some people happy, other people less happy. And that massive research and happiness showed that one of the best predictors of our happiness is the amount of close, meaningful connections in our life. But what I'm trying to say here is that your close, meaningful connections start with your relationship with yourself first. And I don't have a lot of time, so I'll just mention a few more practices that are absolutely necessary for you to up-level your happiness skill, happiness muscle. And you get to go and, and research them if you want. One of them is obviously the practice of forgiveness. Vision talks about that. He has beautiful exercise about that. I have an exercise on forgiveness as well. So you can research that topic. It is an imperative skill for happiness. And my favorite is actually, you know, knowing how to deal with the pain in life. I'm going back to that story that I told you about, you know, how we grow up without the skills, how to deal with adversity, how to deal with fear, with shame, with loss. Because our good meaning peers and parents, they, they try to, to solve our problems for us. So we don't know how to deal with that. I was 40 when I suddenly discovered there is so much information on how to deal with painful situations in life. My favorite teacher here that I will strongly recommend to you is Susan David. She's also a TED speaker and psychologist, a PhD in psychology. She has a beautiful book, Emotional Agility. So I just want to quote her. She says that pain is the price of admission to meaningful life. So happiness is not a magical unicorn. It is not something elusive. It's not the wave on the ocean. It's not the cloud in the sky. Because if we take happiness as that, we're never going to achieve it. It doesn't just happen. Nothing does, just happens in life. We have to work for the things that we want. Yet, it is a prerequisite for you to live a meaningful, successful life and to have an impact, to give back to the world. It is a prerequisite. So if Dalai Lama gave me the permission to be happy, I want to pass this permission to you guys. Please prioritize happiness, figure it out for yourself and learn it. There is so much about it. Thank you. And this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley Podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body? your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.